This is Cincinnati Edition on 91.7 WVXU. I'm Lucy May. Terry Horton takes pride in the apartment building he owns in North Avondale. He rents to families with Section 8 vouchers and often hears from tenants that it's the nicest place they've ever lived. He was planning to expand his real estate holdings and buy another property to create more affordable housing. But an appraisal of his North Avondale building ruined those plans, an appraisal he believes was influenced by racial bias. Joining me now to talk about what happened and the problem of appraisal discrimination are North Avondale property owner Terry Horton. Welcome, Terry. Welcome. Thanks for being here. Dawson Valuation Group, Certified General Appraiser, Thaddeus Dawson. Thanks for being here, Thaddeus. Thank you for having me. And Katz Banks Kuman partner, Sharon McGowan. Welcome, Sharon. Hi, good morning, Lucy. You can join the conversation by calling 513-419-7100 or emailing talk at wvxu.org. Terry, can you start out by telling us why you needed this appraisal for your building in North Avondale? This was for a refinancing agreement, right? Yes. Uh, here in Cincinnati, we have a Port Authority that has a land bank program where you can purchase property and rehab it to help revitalize the surrounding areas. That was something I was trying to do with the property by refinancing and pulling some cash out to be able to qualify for that program. Gotcha. So to, in order to get, to get some cash out, be able to acquire another building and, and keep building your portfolio and create yeah. more affordable housing. Yes. I, yeah. And this was, as I understand it, this was time sensitive because the market was hot and, and interest rates were still pretty low, right? How, how much time did you have to really make this happen? Well, I had anticipated taking about 30 days at most, but it ended up taking me way past the 30-day mark. Mm. And I know a big problem was that first appraisal you got. Tell us about that how that first appraisal came in and, and what your reaction was to it. Yeah, when I got the first appraisal, uh, I had been doing some research in the area, kind of looking at the surrounding areas, getting an idea of what my property might appraise at. And so when I got a, my first appraisal and it came back, it seemed relatively low compared to what I had been looking at. And I, yeah, and you were looking at, wasn't there a property very nearby that you thought was kind of a comparable property? Yes, there was a property directly across the street that appraised roughly around 500000 mm, So you figured yours might be about that, too. I have a bigger uh, size property and more tenants, so I thought it would be either similar to that or more. Mm. And what value did that first appraisal come in at? It came in at about 359000 significantly lower than you expected. What, what was your reaction to that? Well, I was taken aback and the first initial look at it, and then I started to uh, look at the appraisal, and I found that they had some errors in it, uh, like the uh, rents and the square footage, and I brought that to the attention of the appraiser and the lender. Mm. And what did they say to that? Well, they didn't seem to have much interest in the difference in the cost of the uh, appraisal, and I uh, got another one, another appraisal, and it, they told me that I could use the comps and not the appraiser. And I submitted that information to them, and they still did not change their mm. position. Mm. 
Thaddeus, I know you've been an appraiser for decades. You're also a friend to Terry's, and I believe you were the other appraiser who came into this picture to take a look at this property. What was your reaction when Terry told you what that initial appraisal found? I told him to send it to me, and they were asking him to rebut and have an argument. So in my research, I conducted my own appraisal, which I didn't expect them to use um, and it, it could possibly be a conflict of interest, but I, I wanted to utilize it to show him what the value was. And typically what happens when you're disputing a value, the dispute has to be objective when you articulate it. So that's where most people get lost, because once you start talking about I think, I feel, the argument becomes subjective and emotional. So you want to base the argument on differences if there was a misrepresentation of square footage, facts that, that were missed. And so there were clearly some facts that were missed as far as calculating the gross living area, calculating the rents. And so one of the things that in that you look at also is condition ratings. So he talked about how well the house had been made, the building had been maintained and how it had been upgraded. So when you start to talk about that, then you get to the reconciliation portion of the appraisal. That would suggest that you go to the high end of the value range because your property is superior. However, the appraiser reconciled to the low end of the value range in every opportunity, and it just seemed like he went out of his way. And upon that, he also missed some comparable sales that had significant impact on value. So typically, you want to have the closest in proximity in the most recent time of sale. Mm. Well, there was a sale directly across the street for $499,000. The comparable sales don't get better than that. And even if his argument was it was a multifamily versus a single family, well, homes of this size have been cut into multifamilies and, and put back over the years. But what you're really trying to st- – st- the most accurate indicator of value is price per square foot, price per room, price per bathroom. You have all kind of indicators. And so to ignore something across the street and go three miles for a comparable sale, when across the street you have a $500,000 comparable sale, that's your most strong comparable sale that you can lean into in your reconciliation. And to be at $350,000 when his property is clearly superior to the property across the street it, it just didn't make sense. Yeah. So, Well, in these errors, I want to make sure that our listeners understand, you know, um, Terry mentioned that there were some errors, but these were significant. I mean, they, the, 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 they, there was an undervalue of the amount of rent that was coming in. There was the square footage was wrong. Can you talk a little bit about those errors and, and the impact that made on the value? So, so there's no such thing as a perfect appraisal. So every appraisal is going to have some level of errors, either sub- substantive errors that impact value or typographical errors that have no impact on value. So whenever you write an appraisal report, there's levels. And so that you get reviews. And after the review, once an error is brought to your attention, then you have the opportunity to respond to the error. So the error is not the issue. Once we bought the heirs to their attention, they totally ignored it and dismissed it. So at that point, that's when it became an issue. And so in my work, I'm also the vice president of the National Society of Real Estate Appraisers. 
It's an African-American appraisal organization that's been in existence since 1956. Our goal since then and today is to advocate for fair valuation for people of color and to advance African-American or people of color in appraising and women. So because there's such a lack of numbers, there's a lack of sensitivity that goes into the valuation process, which comes a level of subjectivity. So if we can increase those numbers, that would also have a positive impact. But in my work, I've done a couple of cases with the National Community Reinvestment Coalition. So once we responded and then they didn't respond and we responded in the format that they required. So they asked to list the comparable sales that would be relevant. They asked to list the errors. They asked to list your argument. So we articulated all of that. So once that was ignored, I was like, okay, this is more than valuation and errors. So I've recommended the case to the National Community uh, Reinvestment Coalition just based on the work that the good work that they have been doing. The the overall problem is systemic and ingrained, and it's not going to be cured. But what we can do is take a bite out of it and try to get it on the right course. And I think this goes a long way towards that, that, that people just can't be dismissed. But the other piece is, the sad part of it is, everybody is not Terry Horton, and everybody doesn't have Thaddeus Dawson as a friend to be able to use as a resource. Mm-hmm. So in this particular opportunity, is something that I'm very passionate about, and he knew where to go, and I knew how to help him, and I was just grateful that it, it, it's gotten some attention and some attraction to a problem that's been long overdue. Yeah. Sharon, you and your law firm worked with Terry to file a complaint with HUD on behalf of him and the National Community Reinvestment Coalition. Can you first explain briefly why the coalition was part of the complaint? Absolutely. So when we learned about Mr. Horton's situation, we learned about it from the National Community Reinvestment Coalition. And uh, as Thad was just mentioning, they are a national organization that is committed to identifying and rooting out discrimination in, in housing and in lending. And so one of the ways in which they have been involved is they have had to dedicate resources uh, to helping identify these cases. And particularly in this case, even before our law firm got involved, they reached out to another expert beyond Mr. Dawson, um, who helped them analyze the appraisal that was received and was able to really identify additional concerns that really did sort of raise the the question of whether or not race had been part of what was dragging down the value here. And so, as in many of these cases, you know, national organizations that have a mission in this space who have to rededicate and repurpose resources also have standing to bring a case uh, in front of HUD regarding violations of the Fair Housing Act. Okay. We're talking about appraisal discrimination with a North Avondale property owner, an appraiser, and an attorney. We'll continue our discussion in just a moment, and later in the program, we'll discuss the history of the victims' rights movement and whether it's contributed to mass incarceration. This is Cincinnati Edition. This is Cincinnati Edition on 91.7 WVXU. I'm Lucy May. We continue our conversation about appraisal discrimination with North Avondale property owner Terry Horton, Dawson Valuation Group Certified General Appraiser uh, Thaddeus Dawson, and Katz Banks Kuman partner Sharon McGowan. You can join the conversation by calling 513-419-7100 or emailing talk at wvxu.org. We mentioned um, earlier in the program that 
Uh, Terry, you sought, you were trying to refinance this property in North Avondale. You had to get an initial appraiser. I want to mention that uh, WVXU reporter Nick Swartzell and I both reached out to the lender and that, that Terry used and that original appraiser in this case. Uh, neither one have responded to our requests for comment. We did also reach out to the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development. HUD did respond. A HUD spokesperson said that HUD had received the complaint that uh, Sharon and her law firm her law firm filed, and that uh, they will begin the complaint and investigation process. The spokesperson also mentioned that for people who feel they've experienced housing discrimination, you can file a complaint by calling HUD or filing one online. You can find that information on our website on wvxu.org. So, Sharon, you filed this complaint on behalf of Terry and the National Community Reinvestment Coalition. Briefly, can you talk to us about what the complaint alleges? So the complaint walks through the narrative uh, that we just talked about this morning about Mr. Horton's desire to refinance his property and what he experienced in the course of the appraisal process and what the reaction was of the lender, which was basically to throw up their hands and to not take any of the concerns that were raised seriously. Because I think that's a really important piece uh, and really builds on what Thad was just saying. You know, If there had been errors in the first instance, and where they were identified and corrected, we wouldn't be here today, right? But the fact is that there were these blatant objective errors as well as other methodological choices that were made um, that really dragged down the value. And so what we did was laid out all of that information to HUD and explained that in light of all of these facts and in light of the fact that there are no other legitimate explanations for why things played out the way they did, we believe that there was a violation of the Fair Housing Act that needs to be investigated. And HUD has expressed... um, a significant amount of interest in this particular issue. And so we thought in particular by being able to put this as one of a number of complaints uh, that HUD has before it, that would, it would help build some momentum for the agency to, to address this issue and really take it head on. And Sharon, what kind of remedies are available to Terry and the NCRC? What are the possible outcomes of this investigation? Well, to the extent that Mr. Horton and, and NCRC have experienced financial loss, that is one type of recovery uh, that we will pursue on their behalf. But I think um, Mr. Horton has been very clear throughout that one of the reasons why we've gone to HUD is because HUD has the ability to engage in additional remedies uh, to really kind of dig into the practices of lenders and appraisers like this and hope hopefully not only in individual disputes, but in their larger regulatory capacity to put new processes and procedures in place to try and prevent this from happening in the future, and also to make sure that people have the ability to receive fair consideration if they wish to appeal what we consider to be a lowball appraisal. Mm-hmm. Thaddeus, I want to come back to you. You were talking before about all the pieces that are involved in putting together an appraisal. You have to look at property of comparable value. You have to examine the, the you know, what kind of condition the property is in, how, how big it is, its location. I've heard people say that all sounds very kind of data-driven and, and how can there be discrimination that falls into that? Can you talk about some of the decisions and, and choices that appraisers need to make that can really make a big difference in, in how that valuation comes out? So the valuation process, the physical real estate is one portion of it, but you have to look at the market and the market conditions. So when you do that, you, the primary use is the principle of substitution. As a whole, the valuation model is flawed and dated. So we've been using the same process, three comparable sales in a cloud of dust, since the beginning of time. But when the valuation was originally started, 
institutionally it talks about people people of color and trying to have a homogenous neighborhood and if you get too much over 10% of a particular race it'll bring down the value so that was already written into the laws and it's been passed down appraiser generation and if you look at original appraisal literature it all goes into that valuation so that mindset is sort of hard to to break and then you look at society and how people are treated and valued but you want to try to narrow the valuation that's the subjective part of the process and in today there's so much data and numbers and the numbers are able to be crunched in a manner that there's something for everything but you still have to have the interpretation and you have value ranges appraisers don't establish value buyers and sellers establish value what the appraiser does is interpret what the value is and so that's typically established by a buyer and seller who makes the transaction within the value range so the appraiser's job is to make sure that the bank doesn't come out and lend $100,000 for a $50,000 piece of property so that's a level of security but even once you do the appraisal what they have is automated valuation models that grade the score of your appraisal that can tell you that will crunch all the numbers to see the probability of your appraisal. So you get a score like uh, 70%. If you get 90%, then that's astounding and it works. But if you have something that's 70%, then you the appraiser may need to have more explanation and clarity as to why your score is so low or what it's doing. So there's sometimes there's factors that cause you to do different things, and especially in older older properties, you just have to give more explanation in detail. But when you eliminate the factors and you ignore, if they would have just addressed any one of those issues, it could have made, made a strong change in value. The first and foremost being the property across the street. So sometimes appraisers get lazy. We want to use data that we already got. We don't want to go out and look for new stuff. That's just comments. But if somebody provides you with something that's different or can improve, this is his life. This is his his worth, his his value, his legacy. And I look at I've looked at houses over the last 30 years. It's kind of hard for me to be impressed. But it's like. I still have to give each and every appraisal the reverence in which it deserves. Mm. So that is where I think the mistake has come and, and caused great harm to, to Mr. Horton and others. It just so happens he's blessed to be in a position to do something about it. Everybody's not. And most people just give up because it, it's too overwhelming and they don't even know where to start. Yeah. And Lucy, can I say that's such an important piece of of the story here because, you know, between February of 2022 and May, when we finally got to a place where there was a valuation that was sort of remotely in the range of what we thought was reasonable, 
for the value of the property, interest rates had gone up a full 2%. I mean, so this notion that, you know, Mr. Horton was basically told, well, you know, you better take this low appraisal because you're going to lose your rate. That's a value that would have sort of attached to the house, not only with implications for him and his family, but for the neighborhood going forward. So we see it in sales. It's easier to understand the way a lowball appraisal for a sale has implications. But here, even in the refinance context as well, you know, being stuck with an appraisal that was so low was really going to have ripple effects uh, far beyond even this one transaction. Yeah. And Terry, I want to come back to you about that. I mean, the, we've, we've uh, you know, moving ahead, you got this, this appraisal you thought was way too low. Thaddeus came in and, as, as a friend and gave you an appraisal that was much more what you thought it should be. The lender wouldn't accept that appraisal, but said, if you want to get another appraisal, you can. So my understanding is you spent your own money to get a third appraisal that was not as good as, as the one that Thaddeus gave you, but was a lot better. But by that time, talk to us about how much time had passed and what that delay meant for what you were trying to do. Um, it cost me because I lost additional, I would say, 30, 60 days at least. And the interest rates had went up and, you know, I felt like I had got robbed of the opportunity to create generational wealth to pass down to my family. When I couldn't refinance in that time frame, the whole bottom fell out for me. So I couldn't refinance. I couldn't invest in other properties or opportunities to help uh, revitalize the community. And it was like... uh, that's the way the cookie crumbles. Mm. But that can cost for somebody like me generations after generations to recoup and get back to that position to try and refinance. Because it's, if I understand correctly, by the time you got that other appraisal and got the refinancing figured out, it just didn't make financial sense anymore to go through with all that, did it? Right. It didn't make sense. It wasn't the same. We weren't looking at the same situation. Everything had changed. All the conditions had changed. Mm. And so then you had talked to Thaddeus. Did you have any hesitation when it came to filing this complaint with HUD and, and moving forward with this? No, I didn't have any hesitation because I wanted to make sure that nobody else had to experience what I just went through. The devastation is indescribable, and you only have to go through it to really understand what that means. Hmm. Thaddeus, how often does this happen? I mean, you're involved in this national organization. How common is this problem across the country? It happens every single day. Um, so again, we, the National Society of Real Estate Appraisers and the National Association of Real Estate Brokers advocate for people of color to increase uh, the housing numbers. But one of the things is that folks are constantly leaving equity on the table. And I do a lot of, um, mitigation and helping people to battle appraisals and in this particular market race was really not an issue because appraisers work from historic information so average marketing time is seven days you have stuff that's selling before it even goes on the market so whenever you have something and it it it, it sells the appraisal is using information that doesn't exist and 
once it's recorded at the courthouse, then it gets to the data sources. So a lot of times it's about doing research, talking to realtors, getting the information and teaching people how to objectively um, combat these things. But one of the things, because the rates were going up so high, people were putting their own money in driving comparable sales. So mm-hmm. let's say you bought a house for $100,000 and you get into a bidding war and it's 130. Well, somebody, it, if it appraised at 100, you still have the ability to add that additional $30,000 out of pocket. So what that did is not people, uh, FHA, VA, people that didn't have significant down payment out of that particular realm. So you add uh, racism into that, and it just double compounds the problem. I've been talking with North Avondale property owner Terry Horton, Dawson Valuation Group Certified General Appraiser Thaddeus Dawson, and Katz Bank's Kuman partner Sharon McGowan. Thank you so much for your time today. Stay with us. This is Cincinnati Edition.